like to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at the last part of a passage we've been looking at for a few weeks under the goal of uh, having Christ have first place in Christmas, that we want to see him exalted in it. I'm not sure if you're aware, I mean, obviously, I think just about anything can be a subject of debate these days in the terms of like people just like to argue with each other. Um, one of the things that I've always sort of, uh, and if you, if you've got a, if you've got a, a dog in this fight, I'll apologize up front, all right? But sometimes people will argue about whether you should say Merry Christmas or Blessed Christmas. Have you ever heard anybody talk about, you know, Mary's to like, uh, like party, you should be talking about a blessing on Christmas and all of that. And, I remember hearing people say stuff like that, and they're sort of like, okay, so what do I say to these people? Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to think I'm a pagan here if I say Merry Christmas. But the reality is, it's like, seriously? I mean, Merry means uh, something marked with joy or festivity or rejoicing. I'm not sure how you could understand Christmas without having a sense of festivity, joy, and delight. I mean, there were sort of angels singing that way, right? I mean, that's what God said. Joy is come to you. And, and, and certainly, if you think Mary means exclusive of God's blessing, then, yeah, that's probably a problem. But the point really is, this is like an incredible reality that ought to fill our hearts with joy and wonder. And in fact, the text we're going to look at, at the end of it, is actually why that's the case. Because I would suggest to you that the text we're going to consider says that the joy of Christmas actually is because it's an overflow of the joy of the Father in providing Christmas for us, of God sending His Son into the world. Look at Colossians chapter 1, and we've been working through verses 15 through 20. And we're going to look this morning at verses 19 and 20. Colossians 1.19 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Go back up to verse 19, because... Uh, depending on what translation you have, if you have a New American Standard, you can see the word fathers is in italics, which is, uh, I'm, I'm partial to New American Standard, but I, I think one of the sort of goofy things that they do is, is put things in italics to try and indicate that it's not in the original language, uh, when in fact, whenever you're going from one language to another, you're having to smooth things over, right? And, and so most of the time it works great, but in this case, they chose the word father instead of God. Because most of you probably have English translations that say God was pleased or the fullness of God was pleased. And, and in that case, the word God is not in the text is either. I mean, so technically, the, if you're doing like a really mechanical, raw kind of translation, it simply would be the fullness was pleased both to dwell and to reconcile. But everyone knows the fullness there is not some abstract like neutral concept, it's actually the fullness of God, or God was pleased for the fullness to do this or have it happen. And part of the reason I think God would be a probably a better way to say it is because look at verse 9 of chapter 2, all right? 
chapter 2 and verse 9, says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So just a few verses before this, chapter 1, verse 19, Paul is talking about the fullness, and I think it's right to say the fullness of God, that the fullness of God was pleased about something. All right, go back to 119, because I want to zero in on that pleasure or pleased, because that word means delight or well-pleased. Uh, if you're familiar with the birth of, or not the birth of, the baptism of Jesus, when he uh, goes down in the water and comes up, the Spirit descends like a dove, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased. That's this word. Right, So it's a word that describes pleasure or delight in something. So here's the kernel of what this text is saying. God, the fullness of God was pleased or delighted to do something. And those two things are to dwell in him and to reconcile all things. So what we're celebrating at Christmas flows out of a preceding pleasure in God to do these things, right? And, and it's consistent, I think, with what many of us have experienced is the actual outworking of what Jesus said. We don't find it in the Gospels. We actually find it in, a, in the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He said, remember the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So somewhere in the oral teaching of Jesus that's not recorded in the Gospels, the Apostle Paul knew that Jesus taught that the blessing, the fullness of blessing was in the giving more than the receiving. Kids, remember that, okay? I mean, it's great to get gifts, isn't it? But at some point, you reach a place where you really have more joy in the giving than you do the receiving. That is, there's a joy you have in being able to take something that you know will bring joy to somebody. And, and you're, you're happy, you're delighted, you're pleased to be able to give this gift because you know when this gift is given, it's going to produce joy. That's what this is saying about God. What we're celebrating this morning is the overflow of the joy of God he was pleased. It was his good pleasure to do this. He delighted in it. And the text tells us the two things in which he delighted. Notice in the text, it says, for it was the Father's or God's good pleasure for all the fullness first to dwell in him. This is, the, this is really the first evidence of God's joy, and that's the miracle of incarnation. That that God took to himself human flesh in the birth of his son. The fullness of God dwelt in him. It's the miracle of the incarnation. God became man, and that's why sometimes we say fully God, fully man, because the fullness of God dwelt in him. Right? There, wasn't, there wasn't just a part of God that came to dwell in the son but the second person of the triune God, fully God, took to himself a human nature that's exactly like ours, 
right, in our created state, because sin is not essential to humanity. You know that, right? Adam and Eve were made fully human without sin. So you don't have to have sin to be a human. We like to say it sometimes, like, right, to err is human. The reality of it is God made humanity to reflect his glory, and full humanity does not require sin. And so Jesus could be fully God and fully human. He could be truly God and truly human because that was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God's pleasure to accomplish this in the incarnation. Why would that be pleasing to God? Well, I think we could, we could, I mean, we have, we don't have enough time to piece it all together, but I could just say in, in the summary way, right? It was the perfect revelation of God Himself. We beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten God. So God was pleased for the fullness of God to dwell in human flesh because of what it revealed about the glory of God. As it says, a few verses earlier, right? He's the image of the invisible God, the express image of his person, that we behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And God was pleased for us to have that revelation of himself in his son. He was pleased in the obedience of his son, right? That's what we see in Matthew 3, that he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The son perfectly obeyed the father, and therefore the father was pleased with the son, perfectly satisfied in the son. The son was his beloved son, the object of his love and joy because of his perfect obedience to the father, even to the point of death on the cross. As much as it might uh, not sit with us sometimes because we've, we've uh, sort of drifted away from the biblical context of sacrifice, but Isaiah chapter 53 says that he was pleased to crush his son, that the very sacrifice of the son on the cross to be the payment for sin was something that the father was pleased with. He delighted in the death of his son because of what that would accomplish and carry out on behalf of sinners. The same context, it also says that the father would delight to see the prosperity of the son. So it wasn't just delight in his death, but also in his resurrection and exaltation, that everything about the mission of the son would bring pleasure to the father because it fulfilled all of God's promises. It revealed his glory. It made a way to provide salvation. So God, God, before the incarnation, was pleased for the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus. It was his good pleasure that gave us this gift. It was his joy in Christmas that becomes the fountain from which our joy can be drawn. He sent his son in the miracle of the incarnation. And that's Honestly, I think the incarnation, the fact that he is the God-man is probably uh, past our bandwidth to fully understand, right? That this one who is born in, in this stable and laid in a manger was at the same time 
the God who had made everything and now had taken to himself a human nature. And, and we have to always be careful when we talk about it, right? Because we, we need to hold biblically and, and doctrinally the reality that there's one person who has two distinct natures, right? He doesn't become some kind of hybrid. I remember this, it'd be like 40 years ago or so, I was in college and a guy, we, we worked in the dorm, he came back and told me about this sermon he had heard and the preacher had, had gone through this whole elaborate detailing out of uh, how human, you know, you and I recycle our skin like, you know, very quickly. I, it would gross you out if we really went into all the details about how fast we shed our skin. Uh, and then he drew the analogy to, so Jesus is the God-man, and he actually was saying this. is So So every part of him had part God and part man, and so, so all of this decay around him was actually the combination of his humanity and deity. And, and my friend's telling me this, and like, you know, he's amazed at it, and I go, man, that's heresy. Right? Deity does not have skin. Right? God is spirit. Humanity has skin. You can say of the person, right, the God-man had a body, but his body was fully human. It wasn't like hybrid, because if it was actually a hybrid, if every cell was 50% divine and 50% human, that wouldn't actually be truly human. He would be something other than us. If he was a mixture like that, some kind of a demigod like the Greeks talk about. No, his body was fully human. That's why it could get tired and hungry. That's why it could die. Because the divine nature of Jesus Christ never got tired, never got hungry, and could not die. The person could die in his human nature. And that's the wonder of this. The only way that God could provide salvation was this kind of miracle. That God in Christ could suffer in the place of sinners. So that he could taste death for every person. So that he could, through death, conquer him that had the power of death. I mean, it is just a mind-blowing miracle that God was pleased to send into this world. It was the good pleasure of God for all the fullness to dwell in him. The miracle of incarnation. But notice in the text, there's, there's two twos, two, 19, to dwell in him, and then verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things. That's the second element of God's pleasure, and that's the mercy of reconciliation. Notice the scope of this, to reconcile all things to himself. And verse 20 says at the end, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So there is, there is Certainly, the salvation of those who trust in Christ that's wrapped up in this, but the reality of the reconciliation is that it expands to everything. 
right? We, we actually sang about it just a moment ago that, that death would be reversed, right? That all of the effects of sin in this world, which has it broken and, and groaning for some kind of redemption, through Christ, God was pleased to work all of that out to restore the creation to its proper place, to reconcile sinners to himself. And look at how he did that in verse 20, through the blood of his cross. That is the giving of his life in sacrificial death on the cross. And that's the point of of saying the blood of the cross. All the way back in the book of Leviticus, when God is instituting the sacrificial system and sort of codifying it, right? Because there already were sacrifices given before the law of Moses, but now it's being regulated there. And there's a statement that says why the blood was to be offered. It says, because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when it talks about the blood of the cross, what it's saying is through the sacrifice of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, God is going to reconcile to himself all these things. He will bring everything into its proper relationship to God in which he will be the mediator, the one who rules over them. Now, one of the things we have to be clear on is that sometimes people can read a text like this and they'll, they'll all of a sudden sort of shoot out to a universalism that means, well, that means everybody will be saved. Everything will be saved, right? They don't usually say it that way, but that's what they'd have to say if they say all things, right? It would be everything. If everything is everything, then it's everything. So if you're really going to take the path of universal reconciliation out of here as saving reconciliation, then you're you're going to end up with Satan being reconciled, right? All the demons being reconciled. But we know that's not the case because in chapter 2, he says that he actually triumphed over them and put them into subjection to himself. So the way in which Satan and the evil forces that array themselves against God are reconciled in this context is they're brought into subjection. He rules over them. It's his final victory. So the reality of it, when we talk about what God's going to do in Christ, is that he has provided the way of redemption through Christ, and he is going to come and establish his rule and reign over everything. And those who have trusted in Christ, will enjoy the benefits and blessings of that reign. But those who've rejected Christ will be brought under subjection to him. They'll still confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they'll do so under the hand of God's judgment. So the reconciliation here is is enormous. It covers every area. So before it all began, in the eternal plan of God, God was pleased to provide his son in human flesh as the one who would reveal the father and make possible the way of reconciliation to the father. And that's why there's joy at Christmas. I mean, the root of that joy is the joy of God himself in providing this salvation. Christmas is actually the result of God's plan 
to pursue His glory and the salvation of sinners in the Son. It's the Son that's the one who's the centerpiece. Notice again the, 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 the two statements that we might have gone by. The end of verse 19. For all the fullness to dwell in Him. And notice how verse 20 starts. And through Him to reconcile all things to Him. So Jesus is the center of this all. Right? It is in Christ that all the fullness dwells. It is through Christ that the reconciliation of all things happen. And ultimately, it is to Christ that all these things are brought. That's why, to use the language again of verse 18, he should have first place in everything. You know, years ago, again, probably over 40 years ago, I heard a sermon in which uh, the preacher was making much of Jesus Christ by pointing out the names and descriptions of Christ. And it's been something that it's stuck in my heart and head. And probably two or three times I've shared it in a sermon. I'm now 61, so my memory's not quite as good. But I thought it would be good to remind us this morning of how significant Jesus is and how he's been revealed to us in the names which he bears, because he is to be the centerpiece of our worship. He's called Adam, an advocate, anointed, apostle, author, ancient of days. He's the beloved, the branch, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star, and the bishop of our salvation. He's Christ, the chosen of God. He's our conqueror, our captain. He is the chief cornerstone, our counselor, the chosen of God. He's our deliverer, the day spring, the day star, door and desire of all nations. He's the elect, the ensign, the everlasting father and Emmanuel, God with us. He's our friend, our first fruits, the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the dead. He's the finisher of our faith, the faithful witness and the fountain of life for all who trust in him. He's God the gift of God, the governor, the guide, and glorious Lord. He's our help, our hope, our husband, our horn of salvation, the head of the church, the heir of all things, the high priest, and the holy one of God. He is the I am, the image of the invisible God, the express image of God's person. He's immortal. He's the judge. He's just. He's Jesus. He's the king the King of Israel, the King of Kings, the King everlasting. He's light, life, lily, lamb, lawgiver, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the maker, the master, the Messiah. He's the offspring of David, Omega, only begotten of God. He's both the offering and the offerer. He's the priest, the Passover, the potentate, the propitiation, the prince of life and the prince of peace and the truly, only, truly great physician. He's righteousness and rabbi and ransom and rest and the root of Jesse and the root of David, the refiner, the rose of Sharon, the ruler and the rock of ages. He's the stone, the shield, the servant the seed of Abraham, the seed of the woman, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God. He's our surety. 
He's the suffering servant, the sinless sacrifice, the Savior, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the teacher, the tabernacle, the temple, the truth, the treasure. He's the witness, the word, the way, the wisdom of God, and wonderful. I hope you know him this morning. I hope your understanding of Christmas is centered on Jesus Christ. That the Father was pleased to put all fullness in him so that through him he could reconcile all things to himself. And because he did it by the blood of his cross, every one of us in here who are sinners, and that is every one of us, can have the penalty of our sin taken away from us because Christ bore it in his cross that he became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That Jesus will save his people from their sins. That you can be forgiven and brought into fellowship with God, not just now, but for all of eternity because of who Jesus is. Every other person on this planet will fail you. We are all sinners. But Jesus is perfect. He is the Son of God who took to himself human nature to be the Son of Man so that he could be the Savior of the world. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Has he come to have first place in your life so that you live for the one who died for you? Jesus is wonderful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son, for being pleased to make all fullness dwell in him and to reconcile all things to yourself. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for this great gift. We rejoice in it. We plead with you to pour out your grace in the opening of our hearts to the wonder of Christ, that we might recognize that he is a powerful and glorious Lord, that he can conquer sin and death, and he has, that he offers to us life and immortality through the gospel. May you work this morning that hearts would be open an understanding of this great gift that they might trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And Lord, may we offer ourselves afresh to you as the one in whom all fullness dwells and who will come to have first place in everything. Be glorified in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.